If you look at it from a sound perspective, most of the repetitive sound was religious. It's like you'd hear the bells, you hear the prayers in the morning, right? But a lot of those sounds were deeply rooted to meaning. Even if you look at the idea of acoustics, that was grounded in authority. But like imagine like your brain is just filled all day with sounds that have no real meaning to you. What am I going to do with that? And I live for moments like this. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Vicarious, a podcast that dives into the creative minds of me, Alex Scott, and me, Karen White, and anyone else who will talk to us. And today that person is Daniel Byrne. Daniel has been working professionally in the sound, audio, music industry in different capacities, including music producer, audio engineer, sound designer, sound systems designer, studio owner, recording artist, songwriter, spatial audio producer, and post-secondary instructor. Early on, he studied film at Queen's University, then electroacoustics, sound theory, and design under the tutelage of Barry Truax at Simon Fraser University in the mid to late 1990s. After graduating university in 1999 and receiving a diploma from the Trebus Institute of Technology, he entered into the music business as a producer and sound engineer. Dan landed a production contract with Network Records and began producing compilations for their new tone label. Soon after, he signed his first recording contract as an artist with Network Records, and subsequently another in 2004 with Last Gang Entertainment. In 2007, he opened his first commercial studio space, Fader Master Sound Studios, on Commercial Drive in Vancouver. In 2011, he expanded and moved into the historic Little Mountain Sound on West 7th Ave, along with a few other studio owners. During the past few years, Daniel has made moves into Ambisonic's spatial audio, He's been creating sample packs, digital instruments, and sound effects libraries with a new company imprint called Subsocial Studios. Welcome, Daniel. Welcome. Hello, hello. Thanks hello. for coming. Thanks That's for quite, having me, yeah. quite the bio. You've done yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. It's probably, you know, jack of all trades, master of none type thing. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't even mention some of the other like roles and positions that you've had in those labels. Yeah. Like licensing came to mind. I think that was something that we. Yeah, I mean, some, some music t- selection. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. part of the compilation thing mm-hmm. when it was still a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So lots to dive into, but before we do, we're going to start with our creative thing for the week. Karen, can I put you on the spot? Yes. Okay. My creative thing. I've I've been struggling this season with creative things. I feel like I've been in just like a not very creative headspace. We're recording, you know, in late summer now it's September uh, at the time of recording and I'm just not feeling very creative but one thing I've been doing you know that's that's ongoing is creating a nice space in my home Mm. and having a nice you know home environment I've been in my place for two years and it's quite large I'm like really lucky to be living in Vancouver and having we have three bedrooms between the, the two of us, me and my partner. So we each have our own like bonus room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so we I have been setting them up to our own kind of tastes. And I've been making mine into like a music room slash sewing room now. And that's been the the new thing of this week is kind of revamping it and reworking it and personalizing it. It's been a lot of creative problem solving of just the logistics of space and money (laughs) costs and all that and just trying to work around those parameters but it's been turning into a really nice space so I'm hoping that you know having that nice 
space that's really conducive to, you know, a creative mindset will help me to get back into the flow of things. Nice. Yeah, not entirely creative, but it's... Well, you have been creative in that you literally made shelves, like, out of plywood. Is that... No, not rosewood. Rosewood, yeah. They were nice shelves, yeah. I went into, like, a wood, like, plywood store with my boyfriend he's he was making a desk which also is very cool and creative and I saw this piece of rosewood and I just fell in love with it I've never fallen in love with wood before like it was a weird experience Mm -hmm. but I was like money is no object I'm buying this (laughs) piece of wood and it was more expensive than I was hoping but not too bad and it was the perfect size for two shelves so with my boyfriend's supervision Mm because he is very handy I like cut them in half you know used one of those miter saws I think that was that was the type of saw and then sanded them all down and got brackets and Thomas did put them up but (laughs) but you know I got I got us to that point the visionary the visionary yes yeah coincidentally I bought a shelf at Ikea okay a little bit of a different approach but you know same same function (laughs) that was Daniel is that your creative thing for the week (laughs) no what, Thank what, God, or what that is would your, be yeah, based on based on your bio, I, I assume you're doing kind of more interesting creative work than putting up an IKEA. Well, I have house. to, or else I don't get paid. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, well, I guess you know. Funnily enough, one thing that's not in the bio is that lately I've been getting back into film or oh, video, cool. right? Yeah. So I uh, started making music videos about six or nine months ago Mm -hmm. just for some of the the people that we work with in the studio so yeah this week i was planning trying to come up with an idea for another video for another artist this this one was harder do you work pretty closely with them in the creative collaboration like in terms of the storytelling yeah like i try to get into the to the mindset of the song and try to extract as much as i can and talk about it as much as i can with them and then you know, try to come up with something fairly conceptual usually because mm-hmm. I, I, I always find it really hard, especially with, with that kind of stuff, whether it's audio or video, to have some kind of motivation to do things. Like I, I can easily do a lot of random things that look <laughs> cool, I, I guess. At least I think I do anyway, right? But to try to put it all together into something cohesive. Right. That doesn't feel tough. random. Yeah, that doesn't feel random. And I think yeah. like you can probably get away with that, I find anyway, a lot more with uh, sound than you can with images. Oh. Like when images are really random, I think people, it's pretty off-putting to people. Like oh, it yeah. just looks it just I... looks really random, right? Like I don't, what's going on? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, when, when you look at something, true. you want to know what's going on. But when you hear something, you don't necessarily need to know what's going on, right? It's just kind of like a feeling, I suppose. Yeah, oh, that's a really good point. I yeah, it's really weird. thought about yeah. that before, but yeah, your visual, you know, visual cues are so. And so then there's heavy. all sorts of other things, right? You have to consider, like, uh, with making pictures, it's like, oh, locations cost money, or locations are really <laughs> yeah. difficult, or what about the sun, and mm-hmm. uh, what about the time of day, and what about if there's people there, and all this kind of stuff. So, I and so it's, many it's a learning process, yeah. yeah. And yeah. you're organizing a lot more people too, usually, right? Like I try to is, minimize that yeah. because, you know, the things that we're doing to start out with are as low budget as possible because, mm-hmm. you know, no one's going to give us a, a lot of money to make a video They're because mm-hmm. we haven't made many videos. So right. is there anything in this project specifically that has really sparked your creative inspiration or that made you feel or, or helped you get into creative flow? Is there anything you can share with us specifically yeah. about the project? Well, I talked a lot with the artist 
and tried to talk as much as possible about why they made the song and what it was about. And I went through like three different ideas. And I realized that, you know, they were all they were all okay, but or maybe good, but they were too expensive or too time consuming and too difficult to pull off. So at first, I, th- I felt like my my fourth idea was a bit of a cop out, but it kind of made it kind of made sense. The song is is kind of like rooted in this idea of dreams and colors. Mm. So I went and I looked at all of the Vancouver Mural Festival murals oh, nice. and planned out which ones we were going to hit first. But basically, it's an idea where he's walking across the frame like he's a like a character in a scroller video game, like a oh, video game okay. thing. But every time he walks, he's walking across the frame at the same pace. We fade into the next mural. Oh, cool. so now I have to try cool. to figure out this week which murals are going to fade into which murals. Mm. But then when we show up, what if there's a car in front of it? Yeah. Or, but you know, all these right. things are going to happen. So we're going to shoot like, we need like 43 murals, but we're going to shoot like 110. Because like probably Some of them hardly any be... of them are going to work out the way right. we want, right? That's so interesting. But then at the same time, he's going to be painted. He's going to be all in white, right? And we're going to start painting him from the feet up. So by the by the last shot, he's also all covered in paint as well. That so that's going to be really hard because cool. the continuity of how much he's painted when we hit what mural. Right, you can't just move. You can't yeah. change it in post and just go. Oh, so I'm going back one. and forth. Like, why am I making my life so complicated? <laughs> right? And you're like, oh no, it's going to be cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's for the creative vision. The, del- you know? the yeah. artist dilemma. Why yeah. am I making my life so complicated? I mean, the only thing that we can do that we can try to do right now is try to make the coolest music videos that we can for, for the small your... amount of time, uh, not necessarily time, but money, right? Because mm-hmm. we, we have to prove that, that we have good ideas. And I think that's what, uh, you know, I think that's what we're talking about today. It's mm-hmm. like, you feel really good when you have good ideas, right? Yeah. But you feel even better when other people tell you <laughs> yeah. that they're good ideas, right? Because <laughs> sometimes true. it's such a, such a heartbreak when you, when you have like really good ideas and then everybody's, I think the worst thing is nobody says anything. Yeah, that's how yes. rather than say it's trash, right? Yes, because then totally. you're kind of left wondering if, you know, it's worth pursuing that yeah. or what am I doing with my life? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It becomes ex- existential pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it sure does. So before we dive into the existentialism. <laughs> yes, I'll, Alex, uh, sorry. Hit us with your creative thing. <laughs> my creative thing is pretty simple and I feel like we've sort of followed this thread of my journey into playing with my boyfriend Chris in his band. Mm-hmm. So yesterday I recorded synth part and some background vocals for one of the singles that he's working on. Nice. So pretty short and sweet, <laughs> the creative thing of the week. A runner up to my creative thing <laughs> is that I've been doing a lot more cooking to help support my sister because she's working full time now as a high school teacher and it's just very full on and plus a commute. She doesn't have the type of time that you need to be like meal prepping and planning and grocery shopping. So I've been doing a lot of um, cooking at home and just planning with her in mind and making sure there's enough for leftovers. And so I've been putting a lot more effort into cooking. So that's been nice because I was really not feeling very inspired by cooking when I was doing it mostly for myself. And it really changes my drive and my effort, like just like wanting it to be really tasty and wanting to make good, wholesome meals that feel good enough to eat the next day. You know, I'm not Mm -hmm. rather than just throwing something together to eat because you're hungry because you need supper. I'm like kind of planning for the entire week and 
making sure there's enough for both of us to have lunches and snacks. And yeah, yeah. so that's also been kind of igniting a bit of creativity for me. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. a great one. Cooking is definitely a creative, can be a very creative thing if you're, yeah. if you have enough time for it, especially, right? Yeah, yeah. it can be a chore or it can be yeah. an outlet. It just depends on what, what kind of mood you're in and what your needs and requirements and restrictions are in terms of like time restriction. And yeah, because it's yeah. easy to get pretty bogged down by something that you have to do three times or more a day. Yeah, yeah, and then definitely. it feels more like a job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it kind of kills the creativity sometimes. Yeah, and when yeah. you're just doing it for yourself, it's definitely easy to let it fall into that category of just a requirement. Yeah. But when you're trying to do it as like a gesture yeah. and like a, a way to support someone, it's a lot easier to put that like care and time into it. And, and I'm so privileged to work from home. <laughs> and like we've said... <laughs> Earlier and in some of the other episodes, um, I'm in the middle of the writer and the actor strike so that my that my industry is very slow. So I do have the time to put in to, to make delicious meals for us. So it's been a good way to keep me busy. That's good. You got the time and now you've got the motivation. It, it yeah. is hard when it's just for yourself. It's so easy to not be so kind to yourself and just, you know. Yeah, yeah to take that care element out of it yeah. and, and just to be like, okay, I just need something to fill my body right now it doesn't really matter if it tastes great but yeah yeah Yeah. so daniel what role does creativity play in your life right now right now it's um do or die pretty much yeah it has been most most of my life i guess but yeah you've been it seems that you've been pretty dedicated to working in this industry literally since you were I mean, obviously you pursued it as your post-secondary education and then you jumped right into it. So yeah, I like it though. I, I like, it only gets harder. It does it. To, to be, to stay creative. Yeah. I oh, think I, so. I, as I, you, as you get older, because people don't give you the, you know, in some ways you, you get a baseline amount of respect and possibly financial reward just mm-hmm. because of your age. But I think with the creative industry, it works both ways. It's it's working both ways uh, at the same time because as you get older, people uh, you become less relevant. Yeah. And yeah. Well, the assumption is, especially for younger people, right? And, and you know, when you're younger, you don't want to you don't want some old person making something with you. Mm. Maybe maybe you do, but they're if if they're really famous or you respect them or they're your idol or something, maybe, but. Generally speaking, I think maybe it's just the way I feel, but I think it's I think it's I think it's a realistic way to to perceive things because it makes me try to stay sharper. Yeah. Not not just because not 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 necessarily edgy, but um, sharper in terms of trying to empathize as much with as many different perspectives as possible. Meaning, people who are my age, or people who are older, or people who are younger, right? I think if you lose the ability to empathize with what's with what somebody really wants, then I guess you're not doing your job for them creatively, right? Right. And your profession, I mean, as it is now, as we've said, like you've done so many different things, but you are working one-on-one with artists all the time. I'm in- doing less of that these days, to okay. be honest, which okay. is why it's a little bit more do or die because mm-hmm. my success depends on my creativity directly. Right, your own with this output. whole new subsocial studios thing. Right. So the plan over the last couple of years was to quote unquote get out of the studio business, uh. meaning the traditional studio business where people rent out the studio, right, and they pay you, 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're producing and sometimes you're engineering for them. And sometimes you're not. Sometimes producers or engineers will rent your studio. You know, there's all sorts of scenarios, right? And since 2007, a lot of my, the way I've been able to sustain my life is through that that idea, that mm-hmm. business, right? Mm-hmm. And in some ways I'm tired of it because it's not necessarily bad, but I'm just kind of tired of it because it's it, it's a lot of sort of customer service and, and almost like retail or something like that, right? You have people coming in and, and people and people leaving, you know, and there's maintenance and, yeah. you know, who need an assistant that day and who's coming in and who didn't show up and all this kind of stuff, right? So yeah. it's not that hard. Like I'm not... No, but saying after- that oh, what a hard life it was. But <laughs> it's just my just me in general. I I like change and I like to move on to other things. But right now, I'm trying to focus on building this new idea of making things for creative people as tools to use. Yeah. So yeah. why don't we go into that a little yeah. bit? Can you explain to our listeners like? what subsocials is how and and what and what you do provide because i know you you create like sample kits yeah, and basically yeah um so for for people who are maybe like not musicians or not sure. musically inclined what do you mean by sample kit and what are the tools that you're building for artists to use it could be anything really but it's it's uh, I, I think kind of our idea we have all sorts of ideas it doesn't mean they're it's reality but we're trying to put some energy and some inspiration into like these sounds for people to use or in, or digital instruments and things like that so that they can make music with it. Mm-hmm. And instead of being sort of faceless and personalityless or not necessarily genreless though, but um, we just want to put some of our production aesthetic or pr- like we want to put ourselves into it because we think that that will bring value. You know, right, that's yeah. a that's a presumptuous thing to say, obviously, <laughs> right? But I mean, if if you don't do it like that, then what is it? It's just kind of like, okay, here's another piano, mm-hmm. and everybody's yeah, gonna look yeah. at you like, yeah, well, I already have ten pianos. And right. just as a right? specific example, because you just said not necessarily genreless. Yeah. Yesterday, you were um, offering for free an '80s sample. Yeah, it was a bunch of drum sounds from the 80s, like stuff that was actually sampled in the 80s and put on floppy disks. Oh, wow. Kind of thing, yeah. And there were vocals on there too, weren't there? No, it was just drums on that one. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. We do a lot of, I don't know, maybe some people will know, but there's a a piece of production software called Ableton Live. Mm -hmm. A lot of people use Ableton, especially a lot of producers who are self-produced or people who, you know, just have a laptop at home or also professionals as well. And we've been focusing a lot on that because the kind of the community around that software likes and uses a lot of stuff in Ableton and likes to stick to the ecosystem. So we've been trying to just sort of focus on that and see where it goes. And so far it's, it's, it's still going, mm-hmm. but we want to expand into other things as well. We want to make our own software, so to speak, but we need to hire people for that. And at this point, we need to justify that sort of budget. But yeah, we're trying to grow it into something more than, than what it is now. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind wow. of like a brand or it's an idea. Subsocial is a yeah, brand or an it's, idea? It, right. it, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be like, you know. Do you want it to just continuously evolve? Is that kind yeah. of the goal to just... I think so. Evolve with you guys and what you are... We want to have more people involved. But you know, that, that's, there's complications 
you know, there's, yeah, there's course. contracts and, and money and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it is the music business and the music business is a very confusing business. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think a lot of people are worried about how they're going to make money in the music business these days. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's something that you kind of almost have to work into what you're trying to make for people too. Like we're trying to make it affordable and we're trying to make it useful. And, and I think a lot of the times a lot of the the marketing these days because you know like making music isn't a really necessarily just a profession anymore it's a lifestyle it's a, it's <laughs> yeah. a really, the, so the market for hobbyists and the market for people who make music without any intent of uh sustaining their life with it is much greater mm-hmm. than the amounts of people who actually are think looking in the mirror and saying you know i'm going to be a star and yeah. that's how I'm going to butter my bread, so to speak, right? You have a lot of people just looking in the mirror and saying, you know, I make five times as much money bartending, so yeah. I'll do that. And on the weekends, I'll DJ and stuff or, or I'll make music, right? And, Why do you, and think- you know, those people can make amazing music too. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just the the lack of money, the lack of... No, I think it's the barrier to entry. So like you can make music and record it mm-hmm. and, and then also distribute it for nothing. Yeah, mm. right. You can find a laptop in the alley, download <laughs> some cracked software, mm-hmm. and then release it for free on Spotify if you want to. That's mm-hmm. true, yeah. So people are saying, why not? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Before, you'd have to have a bunch of people vet you. How good, how good are you? How, impor- how relevant are you as a right. songwriter, musician, right? Okay, well, are we going to even invest a, you know, some money in you coming into the studio and doing some demos? Because that's going to cost like $20,000. Yeah. You know what I mean? And nowadays, it's not like that. Right. Yeah, and yeah. even just the the uh, accessibility of musicianship. Like before, when you had to get a, a record deal, potentially to get into yeah, a studio, exactly, yeah. you had to be like grinding, playing shows, get yeah. you know, being in a you band, to it, yeah. touring. Whereas now, like you don't necessarily even have to know how to play music. You can get software, put sounds together, and you don't necessarily need to know anything about like how those actual physical instruments work yeah. to, to make well, you don't even have to know anything about music or, or you mm-hmm. don't even have to listen to music <laughs> oh that's yeah that's, <laughs> you don't even that's have to know tricky. anything about music history you don't you don't even have right. to like it yeah yeah you literally don't even have to like music to make music yeah you know yeah. i don't i mean i have a student right now who is 60 and he said he doesn't listen to music but he's trying to learn and it's yeah. a struggle yeah it has, it like has it that capacity though like music is more than just an idea of of being famous or making money right like it has mm. therapeutic properties for example mm-hmm. or yeah. it has it's a hobby it can be a hobby hobby right mm-hmm. but like there's a weird intersection between writing and playing an instrument writing music and playing an instrument and putting it on a record and organizing it in a way for people to hear. Do you know what I mean? It's different. It's like you can take snapshots of your family on holiday with your camera, but are you a photographer? You know right. what I mean? Are, are you doing it so that people will look at it on a wall and say, hmm, yes, I mm. like the composition, right? <laughs> and I think some people, I think a lot of people make music like snapshots these days. Mm. This is whatever. And they don't feel that same existential pressure to deliver Mm. you know and i think that in some ways is actually very refreshing Mm -hmm. because it's creating all sorts of new kinds of music that would have never been created by people who are really worried about what everybody thinks right that is so true i guess that's always happened 
but not as much as it is now, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you could say maybe punk music was sort of like that or something, right? Yeah. But Or even just the music that we have no record of, like just people yeah, playing music on too. their porch, yeah. jams, you yeah. know? It's just that it was so much more fleeting, whereas now that creative energy perhaps is less of a community experience, like yeah. in a jam or in you know, or, or solitary more of a even, competition, but, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's more, it's, it's digitalized much yeah. more frequently than just happening in real time. Yeah, I think so. Maybe Like one of the things that always struck me when I was younger, when I was first really thinking about sound in a nerdy way, <laughs> one of the concepts that was introduced while I was studying was, you know, if you really think about it, the idea of sounds that have been recorded that can be repeated in exactly the same way over and over is an extremely new thing. Right. Mm. Even if they go back to like the Industrial Revolution, like even the sounds of machines creating the same sound over and over was a new thing, right? right? Before that, everybody existed and they never heard the same sound twice. So how does that change us? Right. Well, right? I guess I mean just one caveat to that. Like if you're chopping wood, that would be a repetitive sound that perhaps sound maybe not the exact same because you're maybe not hitting it at the exact same angle, but repetitive motion yeah. and drumming like that. that I suppose so, but as you probably know, because you you play music, when you're on stage playing, it's different than when you're in the crowd sitting and listening. You know, it's much mm-hmm. more passive. So when you're mm-hmm. chopping the wood, your perspective is constantly changing, right? It's an experience mm-hmm. that's fluid. But when you're sitting back and you're passively consuming or listening to something, mm-hmm. whether you want to or not, like when, when, when you want to, it's pleasurable. But when the noise is, is, you know, when there's a siren for the 10th time that night, that's exactly the same as the you know, the one that was at 3 Mm -hmm. a.m., it can be annoying, right, Mm -hmm. I I suppose. And, like, even, like, the city, the sound of the city as a whole, you you know, you you tend to block all of these things out. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of probably creative stuff out there, too, like television, movies, advertisements, and things like that that we block out, too. Mm -hmm. We see Mm -hmm. the things that we like. We latch on to the things that we like. And and we, we get these new abilities where we or become super powerful at blocking the things that we don't like or don't. And, and that yeah. can really affect, the, the, uh, you know, real perception. Like you, you can really, you can really hear things maybe objectively incorrectly because of, because of the way that you feel about it. Right. Versus, mm-hmm. versus other things that you really like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. right. it's like music that you really like. And somebody else says, hey, what do you listen to all that weird music? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, it's all subjective, right? Yeah, we've, exactly. I think we've talked about this on the pod, just our perception of everything is different, right? It's yeah. unique to us. Yeah, and that's something that's so hard to remember, like living and experiencing your own life and you're kind of always having, oh, maybe maybe this is just revealing how self-absorbed I am. <laughs> I'm saying this, I'm like, <laughs> like, maybe no this isn't how it is for you. other people, <laughs> but I kind of have to, I have to remind myself frequently that, I don't have a concept of reality. I have my concept of reality and everyone else's is different. And it's just, it's hard for me to conceive of that, you know? Yeah. No, I think um, that's, I think that's true for most, if not everyone, at least at yeah, some time. It's not right? unique to me. And I like have to I go have, take a like narcissist yeah. quiz or something. <laughs> yeah. Alex, I've uh, never heard of that before. Yeah. No. yeah. I was just like, oh no, I'm totally aware that everyone has their own <laughs> perception and I'm I'm very attuned to how so their perception taking, would be different. You're taking your own narcissist quiz. You wrote, you, you wrote the quiz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what question would uh, I like? One thing that you're just, uh, we don't necessarily need to like dive too deeply into this, but when we were talking about repetitive sounds and how we are 
as people who live in urban centers are very adept at blocking out pollution, noise pollution, we are often blocking out those more irregular organic sounds too, well, to yeah. our detriment, like bird yeah. song and wind. And, you know, we're so used to filtering our experience so that it isn't cacophonous and overwhelming that we're missing so much of the like natural music that does happen in our everyday lives, which is really sad. <laughs> and, you know, um, the, the music could be industrial. Yeah. It depends on how you hear it. I mean, it's weird because supposedly physiologically speaking, your brain, you know, and your ears, your brain ultimately will devote more power to blocking out sounds than, than focusing on the ones that it deems necessary for survival, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So music is like a, a very organized form of sound right yeah, isn't like that it's, the, it's, it's three-dimensional the, art in a lot of way right like and you're, isn't that you're, the literal definition of music organized sound yeah in some <laughs> way in, in one way or another yeah. and you know music anything that's organized could be musical i suppose right mm-hmm. and um it's an interesting concept because a lot of music isn't just organized in the physical realm it's not just or, objectively it's not like or, it's not just organized with a bunch of frequencies that a person likes or something right it could be it could be organized for a lot of reasons like i'm organizing these sounds because i want people to like me more or Mm -hmm. i'm organizing these sounds because this is the current modern narrative this is the way people feel and i want to echo that right so it's there's so many layers to that creative process i suppose like like a lot of times these days because i think a lot of people who work creatively, you know, their job is to to reach as many people as possible, right? Like, so they're trying to organize things in a way where everybody can hear it or look at it and say, oh, I recognize that, or I will consume that, or I will, I will be able to like that and no one will make fun of me, mm. you know? Yeah. Or I will be able to like that and differentiate myself from the normies. Right. You yeah. know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, like, really, really deep layers to it I think when you really when you really take it apart yeah and music has always been so integral to and music genres I should say to identity identity forming identity separation I guess like you said like this will separate me from especially since globalization like especially since the 90s right like where everybody vertically integrated and now (laughs) okay so Sony's got a deal with Nike and blah 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 blah, blah, and you know and now we've convinced everybody that you know if you listen to hip-hop you've got to wear a hoodie you right. gotta, you gotta make sure your, you know, your pants are a little bit looser. If you're listening to rock and roll, make sure you got some holes in those jeans, right? So <laughs> you can, in your you can say fuck the classist system. Mm-hmm. I have money, but the holes are for fashion, <laughs> mm-hmm. not because I'm poor. Yeah, it is a lifestyle. I mean, but that's music. really exploded, yeah. I think, in ways. And, you know, music is a part of it, I think, in in ways that I I don't think that we've really caught up and really understood yet, because it's so pervasive, right? Like, it's so, it's such a part of our lives. Like, it's inescapable, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's, you know, sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's not so great, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, we're all operating under that want to to fit in and to... In some way, yeah. Be, like you're saying, right, it's hard to even as an artist and a creative person to not have that in the back yeah. of our mind of it for other people. It's a really good point because like you say, oh, well, to fit in and then you say, well, 
I'm not going to fit in. But then you're still ultimately choosing another sort of sub route yeah. that's already been chosen by other people that you're, yeah. you're I'm going to choose that instead because it's, it's still fitting in, but not quite as much. Or you're like, you know? you're, you're not fitting in, but you're following a path that a lot of people Has follow, right? You're still, yeah. and you're still thinking about things from the outside perspective rather than looking yeah. internally at what, what works for you, right? It's I still that's part of being human people. though. Yeah, yeah. And we're only able to generate so many ideas. So much of our concept of self is just an amalgam of things that we've picked up. And we can't necessarily, can't, absolutely can't expect to be a completely wholly unique individual. So of course, we're going to be fitting into whatever frequency, whatever resonates with us. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, just to make sense of ourselves in the world. And where we fit. Yeah. And I think this whole idea of us talking about making sense of ourselves is like a, it's a pretty modern thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, was... people's grandparents or, or my parents necessarily would not spend any, waste any, waste any time <laughs> right. on that. Right. right? It's because, a privilege. you know, just do it. Yeah. Why stop thinking about it? You know what I mean? Right. And a lot of the times these days we think and we think yeah. and we think and we think. I feel like I might have cut you off and and what you were saying was really interesting when you were talking about how pre-industrial revolution, we didn't necessarily have the types of repetitive sounds that we've had in, you know, within the like late 19th and 20th, 21st century. Can you just go into that thought a little bit more? Because I I think I I might have cut you off. I mean, it's all history, I guess. But if you look at it from a sound perspective, most of the repetitive sound was religious. Mm. religious space like you'd hear the bells mm-hmm. right from the church or you'd hear the mosque you hear the prayers in the morning right yeah. so on and so forth chants tribal stuff too right that kind of stuff was repetitive but a lot of those sounds were deeply rooted to meaning mm. like directly right like they were calls to prayer mm-hmm. right or they right. were reminders that the church is, you know, is there. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, ultimately that's power. And, you know, even if you look at the idea of acoustics, that was grounded in authority. Because if you walk into a church and you hear the priest talking, that's the voice of God all around you sort of thing, right? It's that space, that that designed space that's uh, captivating in some way. And and a lot of that repetition was useful for people. Yeah, it was a way to organize your day as well. Like when you think about, yeah. Yeah. And now there's just so many mm-hmm. things. Probably 99% of the sounds that you hear don't have any meaning because there's so many of them at the same time or you, you're so good at just blocking out noise. Even stuff that's not noise can become noise, right? Like noise is the city street, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. But everything on the street has, a, has a, you know, all the noise that, that kind of accumulates into this kind of big lump of noise on the street all of those little things are individual sounds, right? And but like imagine like your brain is just filled all day with sounds that have no real meaning to you. And yeah. I think it has an effect on people. And that's something that people were, have been talking about or were talking about. And, and part of the, the things that a bunch of us students at the time were, were learning about and thinking about. And I, 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 I personally found it really fascinating when I was studying it. But I also realized that what am I going to do with that? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting idea, but it's like, yeah, it's all, it's like, it's us? like theoretical 
physics, except no one's going to fund it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Speaking about globalization earlier and how identity has, or the kind of like hyper awareness of identity has really shifted since yeah. globalization. You are very much like a global citizen. You've lived in many places. How do you think that growing up in such disparate parts of the world has affected maybe you as a person, like maybe the fact that you are so interested in these more like kind of theoretical aspects of sound, but but even just your identity as an artist, having grown up in like Algeria, Indonesia, Canada, I don't know if there are other places, but those are a few of the places. So I would say like the only country that really had a really big impact on me was Indonesia because I was old enough to, yeah. to remember. How old were you when you were there? I was there when I was a kid in elementary school. And then I came back to Canada for a few years and then went back again for high school. Oh, okay. Or like end of middle school, high school. And you were going to international school, right? Yeah, so I was going to an international obviously school. Obviously yeah. people it from It was mostly other... Americans and Europeans and Australians. And so what effect do you think that living in Indonesia had on you that's maybe unique to growing up there as opposed to um, growing up in Canada? I mean, obviously you get cultural perspective and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I mean, mo most, of my, most of my life post, you know, that I've realized that if, you live, if you've lived in different countries, don't talk about it. People <laughs> don't want to hear it. Right. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, I I want to hear it. <laughs> no, so I don't talk about it that much, to be yeah. honest. So I don't think about it that much. Mm. Oh, I suppose, okay. right? Because oh, people think it's pretentious, or people think, yeah, 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 whatever. Right. I guess you maybe have to be careful you do, if yeah. you're bringing it up unprovoked. <laughs> you exactly. know, yeah. That. Well, when I was living, mm -hmm. it's like someone who went backpacking for three months and now they're. Oh my god, that's me. <laughs> It's, it's natural no yeah. it, and that was actually it probably it wasn't necessarily me because um i didn't go away on holiday i guess i lived there so yeah. i i when i when i came back to canada i felt like a stranger mm -hmm. like i felt i had culture shock coming back mm -hmm. because you're talking about high school right like it's pretty formative years Very so formative time my whole thing was you know it was it was indonesia at that point but my my perspective on it just to, to to quickly wrap that up, but like, you know, I was a, I was an expatriate. I was a kid living in Indonesia. Obviously, we had a lot more money than the general population. So my perspective on Indonesia is skewed. I like to think that I was, I remember it as, as objectively as possible. And I, I like to think that I, I wasn't a spoiled little shithead. <laughs> and I don't think I was. I don't mm -hmm. think I was. I definitely know that some kids were for sure. Right. In your program as well, if you're in international school, you probably have more experience with other. Yeah, other than that was the, the school. My school was great. I, I really think back on that. I think my high school was better than university for sure. Like the, the, t the teachers that I had were amazing. You know, the community I had were amazing. And, and it was a great experience for sure. I think the most interesting thing when it comes to the globalization thing, though, was when I was living there, the middle class was literally just emerging. <laughs> And the idea of brands and global brands and like I, I was there when the first McDonald's came and stuff like that, right? 
when I was there when I was a kid, I remember the roads got paved outside our house. And because of that, we got roller skates or something, you know, like it was it was in the middle of nowhere and it was a lot different. And then in the 90s, it really, it, it, the, the whole landscape changed. But like, it's not like that McDonald's appeared. It's, it's more of like, think of McDonald's as like a metaphor, right? Like you had Indonesian kids that were my age or maybe in university now who were getting a look at the world for the first time. And then looking inward or looking at their own surroundings and thinking, what the fuck? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Why don't I have this? Or why don't I have that? Or yeah. how come they get to do that and we don't get to do this? And it's not, it wasn't all about like, oh, well, they were missing out. It's just that a lot of things like the idea of personal identity or civil liberties and things like that are things that, you know, people over here have probably fought for and, and complained about for a long time. Right. And there's enough of the middle class here to to hold on to it. Right. And not let go of it. Right. It's too dangerous to upset the middle class. Right. But in many countries, it's just not true. There's not enough. Right. It's just a bunch of poor people and barely a middle class and then, you know, a bunch of rich people. And, mm -hmm. and in those situations, nothing happens. So seeing that and being a part of it uh, was, was part of the experience. Right. But, you know, a lot of the experience was also that. It was a beautiful country and beautiful people and the beautiful culture and, you know, amazing food and all the, all the normal stuff too, right? Mm -hmm. But when I came back, it probably affected me, I guess, more than the, the average kid who had just lived in Canada their whole life or yeah. something like that. So I don't know if it's, it, I think the biggest negative is, is that I, ne I, I still don't feel like anywhere is my home. Right. Because um, when I when I was growing up, we moved around a lot. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes I envy people who have like you know their little hobbit house and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My grandfather is just around the corner and stuff. You know what I mean? I don't really know what that's like. Yeah. So much. Right. I'm sure um, there are pros and cons. I'm the opposite experience. Like my parents are still in the house that I, I was born in the house, but I've lived there my whole life yeah. and. That was, you know, not in Vancouver, but in the greater Vancouver area. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm all constantly jealous of people who have these experiences of living in other places, especially in like those formative times when you're younger and you're able to make those changes maybe. Well, I, I'm just speculating because, again, I have no experience with this, but it's not maybe as big of a of an internal shift that you have to make when you're a kid and you're just kind of going from place to place. You're just absorbing all these new experiences. I yeah. think that is really special, not without its own challenges as you just were describing, but yeah. it's really cool. And hearing you talk about it kind of makes me, or makes sense, your bio of having all those different jobs. And like you said, you like to change things up. Do you think that your upbringing had or is kind of at least partially responsible for that feeling you have as an adult of wanting to change and maybe you're yeah you're not comfortable with like the it's an interesting it's an interesting question i never thought about it that way but i think it i think no i think well ironically all i ever talk about is and say to myself it's like i wish i could just do one thing mm -hmm. i wish i could just do one thing and i don't know if it's my fault or not 
<laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's just who you are, yeah. I guess. It's it's nature versus nurture. Because a week later, I won't be in that headspace, right? Right. And I'll just be doing another random, not a random thing, but just another thing, right? It probably depends on if you're starting the new thing or if you're just coming down from that new thing, your headspace, right? When you start a new thing, it's exciting. And then yeah. when you kind of drift away from it, it's like, oh, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like that a lot of the time with my creative it, endeavors. Yeah. I do too. And I feel like, you know, a lot of me just at a base level is, is a creature of habit in a lot of ways, but a lot of me, a lot of me isn't, I think, I don't know. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of you isn't. I would like, (laughs) I would like to be more focused and I would like to make millions and millions and millions of dollars, I suppose. (laughs) Um, I don't know what I do with it, but I, nice I don't even I don't even know if I want to do it for the money. I just want to be able to say, oh, you know, don't worry about me. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, isn't that the dream? Because <laughs> I find like uh, the, the, I suppose the life that I lead, if you, if you want to call it that, and the things that I do, I think to a lot of people, including, including friends who I've known for a long time and family members, they might look at it or they do look at it and they say, how do you, how do you manage? Like, how do you... How do you not worry about what's next or if this is going to happen or if that's going to happen? And I don't know. I think it's just because I just work all the time and, and I really like all the things that I do. And for me, the biggest payoff is when I go to sleep or I try to go to sleep, but I'm excited about what I'm doing the next day. Mm-hmm. That's a, it's a really important thing for me. And that's something and, a yeah. lot of people do not have in their, in their careers. It's a big risk. It's a big mm-hmm. risk. And I, it is hard. It is very hard sometimes. Not just necessarily financially, as most people would probably to think about it, but just uh, mentally, it can be draining sometimes to convince yourself that it's worth it. And like a lot of the times, it's not you're not thinking, is it financially worth it? You're thinking, is it? Is it, is it meant? Is it? Is, yeah. Is, is this worth it? Yeah. <laughs> is it right. filling my? Do cup? I have this yeah. kind of time to waste? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that is a really pretentious thing to say as well, <laughs> right? But like. It gets easier. Yeah. Being pretentious gets really... (laughs) (laughs) With age. With age. Um, So, Daniel, one thing that I found really interesting, just learning more about you through through your bio, honestly, was just knowing that you were a signed artist, you're part of a band, because the way that you and I know each other is through music. Yeah, that's Um, right. I met you because we did a recording of one of my songs and you posted on subsocial, like it was a live take of my song, Meet Me Downtown. And then you recorded a video for me. um, And then we collaborated on one of my songs. We collaborated on one of your songs. So we've done recording together. And of course, like one would assume that uh, producer, engineer, that they've played music they're very interested in music but for some reason I never thought to ask you about your own musical endeavors and your own personal music projects yeah so is that how you came into your passion for music was through songwriting and through your own experience as an artist it's gonna sound really bad because of of what it what it is today but I started out as a DJ Oh, oh yeah. nice. Okay, so when you're describing your concept for the music video and like fading in and out of the murals, it reminded me immediately of a DJ like and a like crossfade, the way you put, yeah. yeah, crossfade. Yeah. Yeah, I, I when I was studying sound and all that, and, I, and I, when I was in, in university in general and all that kind of stuff, I think I was probably like 20 or 19, and someone took me to a rave in Ottawa. And back then, I, I came from Indonesia, right? 
and it, there's a lot it, there was there was clubs and stuff but like i went to this 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 party this rave if you want to call it that right and they were just playing like the craziest music <laughs> like this the stuff when i when i walked in i was just like what is what is going on this is crazy like i've never heard stuff like this and it's so good right and then from that point on i remember just like okay i got to do that i want to do that right so and did you have any like musical background at that point? Um, any? Not, I mean, just the usual stuff like playing clarinet in school and violin and sure, stuff like that. Band and, and, class. Yeah. yeah. I always loved music. Like I was, I, I listened to lots of music. I was a music nerd. Like had all the CDs, you know, yeah. CD collection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Anyways, so yeah. And pride. it was vinyl, so I started buying. I, I really like the subculture of it and like the. Waiting outside the record store on the weekend for the new shipment that would come in, for, and then everything's like some crazy white label with nothing on it, and you got to go in and you got to get in there first to get the good records and all that kind of stuff, and playing parties and, and, and like just playing music that you know there was like three hundred copies of that track and like who had it, and mm-hmm. I like the excitement of it was great, and it mm-hmm. actually that actually became leverage for me in getting my first production gig. Because I pitched this idea that I was going to get all of these smaller international electronic music labels and I was going to try to put them into, uh, get them distributed with larger labels like nationals and create compilations out of them, right? And, you know, those labels are already doing that on the, for themselves. But I went around and I, and I pitched to all of these labels that I liked. And I said, hey, what if I get some of those songs and I try to pitch it to a larger label to distribute it, right? And then we can get you guys get some licensing money. We'll make cool, make cool stuff, and we'll bring your music to you know a larger audience and all that kind and of was stuff. Was that the work that you were doing with Network? Yeah, and that was the right place. Literally, perfect example of the right place at the right time. The only reason, like they happened to be starting up a new electronic label, mm-hmm. you know, and they were looking for stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, and I had pitched this idea, and I had spent all my money when, once I got out of school on it. And I sent out to like two or three hundred labels, mm. like to do, and they had to do that by pure relator. Yeah. Oh wow! Like and this wow. is before internet stuff. And right? so this was you were already in Vancouver at this point, right? Was this when yeah. you finished yeah. SFU? And I actually left Vancouver because I gave up because oh. nobody responded. Oh really? And I moved to Ireland because my brother was living there, and I got a job in a record store, and I was trying to get a job in a studio in Ireland, right? And then two weeks after I got there, I got a an email from network mm. and they said are you in vancouver i'm like yeah <laughs> sure sure, sure. Yeah. And I asked my brother, hey can i borrow some money to go back to vancouver <laughs> yeah, that's funny. so everything kind of started i think from that point but while i was djing i became very interested in production so i started buying synthesizers and drum machines and groove boxes and getting people to do some stuff on microphones and recording i i you know i went to production school Right, and, and uh, after that, and they started recording local bands and stuff like that. Prior to the rave in Ottawa, you were yeah. in film school. Is that right? No, uh, yeah, oh. that's when I was in film school. Right. Okay. So when I came back to Canada, I signed up for film. Right. Okay. But the problem was okay. after year two, at that point, we're talking about film, not digital. So your student project had to be film, and you had to raise like fifty or a hundred thousand dollars to do it. Oh wow! And I didn't know anybody, and my parents said 
no way sort of thing. Yeah, that's... It wasn't wow. going to happen. They just let, left it up to you? Like, there was no... You had to raise the money somehow, yeah. And that, you had to raise it and that. prove that you raised it before you got into year three. Wow, yeah. wow. And so before attending that rave in Ottawa, like, had you... Did you have any concept of electronic music? Or like, yeah, but it wasn't it? it wasn't like that. It wasn't as uh, mature as that. It just, had, it just all like the internet, like some, some. In Indonesia, even when I was in high school, the whole Bali thing yeah. was big and spring break and, you know, international right. DJs would come. But all that stuff was very, very new still. It was really just starting. Yeah. Really just starting out. So, and I was also younger. Yeah. So I didn't have the same kind of exposure to it, right? Because I think a lot of it when it was starting out, especially internationally, was an older crowd. Like you're talking about mm. 30, 30 year olds and stuff oh, like that, right? right? So when did you take up DJing? Was that before or after that that kind of formative oh, rave? after that, yeah. Yeah, okay, that. cool. When I was in Vancouver, when I, after I moved to Vancouver. So I, I came to Vancouver a couple years later and I continued studying here. And so I signed up for communications, I suppose, but electroacoustic communications. My sister was going to university here at SFU. Okay. So she says, why don't you come to SFU? I'm like 20, 21. And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why not? That's a waste all the time and all the money. <laughs> you got to, you know, you got to figure out what it is you want. I really to do. wanted to do film. Mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. wanted to do film, but I couldn't afford it. Was it pretty devastating to have no. to let that go? Not or really. You not were that, able to much. kind of adapt, obviously. I think so. I think as far as I remember, yeah. I think when you're that young... You know, and the world still feels full of possibilities and you still are so like optimistic about your potential. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can see it both Uh, ways. When you're young, you could be like that or you could have that grand vision that, you know, you haven't have a plan. Yeah. Yeah. You have the plan and you haven't had any experience with rejection or with roadblocks, maybe, you know, and getting a taste of the real world can kind of yeah, I think so. can be a burn. I always thought music would be really hard. And, it's, and, and I like that idea. Mm, I was yeah. like, Challenge I don't it. know if I would be that good at it. Let's do it. <laughs> that was actually my <laughs> approach exactly. I was feeling like I needed to do something really challenging and yeah outside the the realm of what i thought was possible and i was like music that's the one for me it's i was lucky enough to have parents that put up with me (laughs) and i suppose had enough time and resources to do so and the older i get the more i feel guilty about that for sure and being a parent yourself too i'm sure that gives you a perspective on it yeah i think so i was definitely like in, in compared to a lot of people i was definitely spoiled in that respect but not totally spoiled, I don't think. Like, I think I work hard and I always have and I care about what I do and I, and I care about what people think and I care about what my family thinks and I try to make people proud. I try to make my parents proud. I try to make my family proud. But, I, you know, I take liberties. <laughs> I, I do my own thing and, you know, maybe it would have been nicer if I just became a accountant or something that's always people always say accountants for accountants right yeah to all the accountants listening we apologize oh, sorry, yeah sorry. i'm sure you are creative in your own right <laughs> fulfilled yeah for sure creative ways. with those numbers on yeah. tax yeah, so, <laughs> so it sounds as though your experience in music has been both as a participant in terms of like as an artist yourself, but also behind the scenes, either working for labels, working, you know, developing your career as a producer, engineer, 
et cetera, et cetera. Though it seems as though those have kind of happened in tandem. Is that um, is that right? Is that yeah? I, I when I first started, I started as a producer, mm-hmm. and I, that's what I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Like I I I think I'm a pretty good engineer, and I really I really like engineering. But the weird thing is that when it comes to music production, I'm a lot more um, willing to collaborate and be open-minded. But when it comes to engineering, I'm not. <laughs> Go into that a little. Like for some reason, if someone tells me that I've got too much high end in that mix, I'll be like, shut your face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who do you think you are? <laughs> what? How dare you? <laughs> right? Right. It's but like if personal. somebody says, I don't know about that bass line, I'd be like, oh yeah, sure. Let's change it. Yeah. <laughs> right? I guess there is like, I can see one being more of a personal opinion versus that well, no, I think technical it, thing. I think that's what bugs me though. That's yeah. the irony is that. A lot of people who are engineers who think with that engineering mindset think it's think it's an objective thing, right? Like they're making and I my argument is is like it's not like a person's mix or their presentation of the of their music or the way that they play the guitar or the way that they use their voice is sacred. Mm-hmm. Like you can't separate engineering or the, the the packaging of it or the mixing of it. It's like mixing colors on on a palette, right? Right. right. It's more collaborative, obviously, if it's for somebody else's song, right? Because you, you know, think about two people painting a painting, I suppose, right? But one of them doesn't know how to use the brush. Mm-hmm. So they hire somebody to paint it for them, but they're still telling them what to paint sort of thing or whatever, right? It's probably a really bad analogy, actually. But I see, I see like, how it comes together. <laughs> the amounts of frequency content or, or dynamic range or whatever technical words you want to use to describe uh, audio, like, it's not... It, it it never has been objective. Like it's completely subjective. And you, people like the sound of microphones that are way too close to drums. And now all of a sudden everybody's like, "What are you doing? Well, don't put that microphone too far away. <laughs> people may not like us, right? We got to fit in." Yeah. You know what I mean? So I always think it's funny because I like to think, and this is very pretentious. I like to think that I think about engineering on a on a higher plane of existence than most people who are in the trenches turning mm-hmm. a knob. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I don't think that's what it's about. Right. I don't think it's a purely technical thing. Mm-hmm. Just like uh, making uh, film is, or or movies, or or images, or, or photography, or 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 whatever, right? Or the way you want to wear your clothes, or whatever it is, right? Like, just shut up. <laughs> but it's like the music industry is is like that mm-hmm. especially on the engineering side because it's a real guy thing it's like right you know, right like, got that machismo. so yeah what kind of gear are you using mm-hmm. you know what's under the hood sort of thing you know <laughs> oh yeah well i got i got this i got this it's better yeah, yeah. right you're still yeah you're still you're still, still you're kind still of learning. like you're a still, pissing yeah. contest well, you're right? still using exactly that. right yeah. yeah but the funny thing about that whole realm and that whole sort of um network and circle of people is it's 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 all the people on the internet or it's all the people you know who are struggling so to speak who who, who always talk like that and mm-hmm. it's always like if you look at like the, if you want to even call it the best mixing engineers and producers in the world they're always super chill and nice and just like yeah sure whatever it's <laughs> just it's just a it's just the way it sounds right but like think about it like hip-hop has way too much bass but if it doesn't have way too much bass, it's stupid. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Rock and roll. If it doesn't have enough guitars, 
it's stupid, right? <laughs> so then why is somebody coming up to me and saying, well, you've got too much guitar in the mix. You're like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> what are we making? We're just going yeah. back to the idea of subjective reality. You know, nothing mm-hmm. is completely objective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're just like, what? The I'm just trying to express myself. <laughs> it's interesting you say like, yeah, the machismo kind of male yeah. aspect. Because I think, you know, anytime you are, well, you know, Art is obviously all subjective, creativity, and it's vulnerable, right? And so to take the vulnerability out of it, that seems like a ba- yeah, right? A lot of so you buy as much of, gear as possible. Yeah, exactly. A lot of men, in particular, <laughs> right, are not uh, nurtured in that that yeah. feeling, right, of being able to just kind of have opinions and have their own feelings, right, and to just feel it, they have to be. It has to be like the truth. It has to be measured. To it's like valid. it's like measured like their muscles, right? Mm-hmm. It's like how Gains. much you lift, how much you lift, right? Yeah. <laughs> Gains. Yeah. Gains. How much how, how much gain does your preamp have? Not as much as mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it might, but it's not clean gain, bro. It's not clean, right? Like, <laughs> so so just. I'm I'm curious because you have taught in some post-secondary institutes and because it is such a male-centered or I guess male-dominated industry, like the, the production side, the engineering side of music, are you seeing that open up to more women as you've been teaching um, over the last years or is it still quite... Is it still mostly men, boys? I think guys any in the school class? pretty much is open up. Is open up. Or are you seeing How more women I... being drawn to these careers? Is what I'm trying to ask. I don't, I don't think they're that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, mm. some of them are. Mm. Some, some of them are the. Some of them are that stupid. Some of us are. Some That's of us. Are. And I mean that in so a way. I mean that in a way. So like, it's like exactly. <laughs> Men can lie to themselves. <laughs> See, we're getting into a whole man, a whole man versus yeah, we, now, but <laughs> like it's okay. We can go there. <laughs> it's like a a man can can buy ten guitars and keep lying to himself and say it's okay. It's my last one, baby. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think women do that. And maybe that's a generalization. But I just don't. I just don't. I've never seen it. I've I very rarely have, you seen have I seen closets? that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this is no, like going usually, heavily into usually, like they do. It's more in a sustainable way. With men, it's unsustainable, you know. Right, short-sighted, perhaps. But I think that's They're part eat- of the. And I, this is a really weird thing to say, but sometimes that desperation in men is part of the magic. You know what I mean? It's like it's that irrationality, that stupidity, <laughs> and maybe that that the, those hormones and that 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 sense of macho bravado and all that kind of stuff that does yield positive things you know what i mean there are byproducts of that mm. that are um interesting mm-hmm. or, like or have some sort of merit and a lot doesn't obviously too right so like it's that insanity mm. i think you sometimes do that, that does there's something about it that that adds that i don't know maybe called showbiz or something i don't know what you call it right but i feel like many many women are just too smart to go off the hinges like that and conditioned of course we're we're very conditioned to not be so single-minded and and self and the way that one must be so self-focused to see something through to the end in terms of having the like fortitude the self-confidence to really believe in yourself to the degree that you can create something like you know that that might become genius yes yeah you know something i think about when i'm on the bus 
stay with me here, is <laughs> I look at, you know, men and women and I see like women tend to be thinking about the people around them and either, you know, pulling themselves closer, more inward, right, or taking stock of their space. And I see men as being more focused on their own thoughts. And that's not true all the time, but I think it's kind of a just the way a lot of women and men navigate in the world, right? Women are taught to look outward and at, you know, to be there for other people, to maybe make themselves smaller, to be accommodating, and yeah. men are really encouraged to go for... And self-actualize. The, yes, go for what they want, to um, recognize their potential, right? And to uh, have that confidence yeah, to achieve totally. what they want, right? Mm-hmm. And... You're right. Yeah, I think I think it's in everyone that mm-hmm. ability to really have that point of view, have that vision, yeah. but to go after it. This yeah. is going to sound like pandering, but I feel the same way. When I walk in a room, like in the studio or whatever, or, or socially or whatever, I'm always, I feel that way too. I feel like, is everybody okay? Is everybody comfortable? Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, a lot of men, let's say, are the opposite where they walk in and they're like, okay, I'm going to dominate this room, right? Mm-hmm. That's really uncool. And like, I don't like working with people like that. Mm-hmm. But and there's, a lot of people, know- there's, a lot of, there's a lot of men who aren't like that, to yeah, be honest, yeah, right? Of course, yeah. Especially in music, I would say. Yeah. But there's a lot of men like that, especially in, in music. music, right? Yes. Yes. Well, right? it's, it's, it's a like profession. like there's nothing in between. Yeah. <laughs> but so the profession where you're basically just putting value in your yeah. ideas, right? Like it's, you know. You're either a crybaby or a thug yeah. if you're a man, right? Right. Well, it's, yeah, it's that idea of like music and art being vulnerable, but, you know, men are maybe a little, a little more inclined to, to project their feelings as like truth. (laughs) Totally. Like when you, when I, when I work with uh, female artists, they're, they've already done that. They've already done the legwork. Like they're already writing songs where they've opened themselves up Mm -hmm. because there's no other escape. And with men, it's like, you're having discussions with them usually about, hey, you know, like, you think maybe give us a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like, open up, like open up a little have bit. To crack them open a yeah, bit more. Yeah, and maybe that's because you want, maybe because they're going to cry or, or even like something as simple as maybe just, hey, yeah, go totally aggro on this, right? But it's like a, the, the idea of vulnerable, I think, for a man uh, goes every way. It's not just about being more sensitive, it's about everything. Right. Just and I think being sometimes when you see the man standing on the bus, it's like, I don't think they're in their own. I don't think they're not thinking about. I think they're 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 looking at the world out of the peripheral of their eye, and it's just mm. a, it's a, it's an it's a, it's an ever sort of present state of paranoia. Mm. It's like you you sense all the other testosterone on the bus, and you're ready for everything, <laughs> and that's that like it's, it's suffocating. I think for a lot of men. So I think like the more that they puff up their chest, or the more that they uh, appear big, you know, either socially or or physically. It's because of that, I think. I think it's rooted in this idea that, you know, they need to be dominant in some way to survive or something. I don't know what it is, but I don't know. Mm. It's probably yeah. too off topic. <laughs> I know. I don't know how I, we I know that, here. But. So I know that, yeah, we have veered quite far <laughs> away from, from your experience. And um, I, I do just, because you are a father of a daughter, yeah. is that something that you think about in terms of, like, well, I kind of have two questions. I guess the first question is because of your experience with working in, you know, a male dominant industry, but also a creative industry, 
do you think about where your daughter might be led to in a career? And like, do, are, are you consciously thinking about feeding her creative instincts? Is that something that comes to the forefront of your parenting? Or is it kind of just you're, you're waiting to see? Uh, she's still very young. Like she's you're still very young. Yeah. yeah. I think that's part of it. Yeah. And the other thing is, I think, I guess I would feel a bit bad if I imposed myself too you don't, much on her. Like, you I, don't I'd like, I'd like to think that I, I know everything and I should tell her how the world works, but she has to learn a lot of things on her own yeah. as well. But like, I, I, I definitely will hope to raise her to be as confident and, and um, unapologetic or happy as possible, I think. Happy, happy, is, the, happy is the key word, I think, mm-hmm. when it's your kid. Mm-hmm, um, and like, luckily, she since she was born, she's been the happiest kid ever. Like, she's so happy that people will come over and they'll tell us she's so happy. Aww. She's so happy here. Like, yeah, yeah she is. I know. <laughs> That's why I don't, I don't even want to have another one because I don't want to jinx it. Yeah, yeah. she's too. She never cried, Aww. and she's always happy. And she's at the age now where she's starting to say things that are really interesting. Like where she's just able to express herself enough where you can see what's going on inside her head. Oh, Before cool. that, you, you don't really get too much of, a, of insight. Mm-hmm. I think her mother would because historically, Claudia, who's my, my wife, has spent way more time with her. She's, right. she's been staying at home with her since she was born, luckily enough. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we both think that that's a great thing because we, you know, we love the kid and we want to spend as much time with her as possible. Mm-hmm. We know it's going to go fast. And yeah, we never we never really felt like burdened in any way. Like we, we want to spend time with her. We always want to spend time with her. And I think at the, she's at the age now where you, you can just start seeing it like, okay, I'm going to go in my room by myself now. So yeah. why don't you guys just leave me alone for a bit? <laughs> or no, I don't want to talk to you right now. I'm playing games. Right? She's starting to. like, what? <laughs> After all I've done for you? <laughs> no, but I mean, do I think about... Yeah, I don't. I don't know what she'll do. Uh, sometimes I think she'll be like a wrestler or something. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes we joke about that. Like she's gonna go back. My wife's from Mexico, so we think, oh, she's gonna go back to Mexico and and be a, a wrestler. But that, that would, probably wouldn't be a good thing. <laughs> well, yeah, they all they all keep... die young yeah, from steroid abuse or something. But <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> so not the dream for yeah. most parents, I guess. No, I don't know. I, I don't know yeah. what she'll do. But I mean, um, I have a sister as well, and you know, in my family anyway, my sister was raised to be as just the same as me and my brother. Like my dad was always pretty adamant about that with all of us. Like you're all going to go to school. You're all going to be right. And somebody. Same, same expectations. Yeah, same. I would say even more for her probably because uh, I think, you know, my father probably recognized that, that, you know, it is going to be harder for her because, you know, we're, we're kids that were born in the mid-70s, right? We're in elementary school in the 80s. We're in high school in the 90s, right? And the things had, hadn't changed that much, to be honest, at that point. They weren't that much different. They're a lot different now, much more different, I think. But I think, you know, obviously that's rubbed off on me. Like, we were, we were always taught to be, you know, a, a fair and, and open-minded and all that kind of stuff, you know? Obviously, my dad wanted to see the world, and we, we got to do that as well. So I think, you know... We're very, very fortunate in that way, and and I think that gets passed on to to my daughter. And did I your think. parents? Do you think they nurtured your creativity? That? No, I don't, not directly. I don't think so. I think they. I mean, they did. In I was. I always had food to eat, and I always had a place to live, and I had school. 
like my school was was paid for by my parents, which was which was amazing, right? And that is something, right? We we can't really exercise those creative muscles when we are, are worried about those survival sur- about survival. Yeah, so I agree. Just having yeah. having those things taken care of is a way of nurturing that creativity just by allowing it to come through and to give it. I time. think I think mm-hmm. the whole I, the whole I don't know. I guess my whole. The, the underlying part of the underlying thing for me is maybe for a lot of creative people, there's always some amount of guilt in living your life doing those sorts of things because everybody else seems so miserable. You know, they got a lot more money, though, some, but they, uh, they, they still seem miserable, though. And a lot of people yeah, don't have any money and they yeah, still and they and they have to they have to do things. But, I, it, you know, it's not that easy. It's hard. It's hard to do it. It's hard. It's hard to make enough money to have a family and live in Vancouver yeah. when you work creatively, like, uh, trust me on that. Like, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard, but mm-hmm. I like doing it. If somebody offered me another job that was really easy that I didn't mind doing, maybe I'd say, okay, I don't know. I don't know what that is though. And that's never gonna happen anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. anybody who's got a job that's okay, that makes a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Hit Daniel that, up. <laughs> Yeah. They'll stab you before you get that job, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I imagine, yeah, like you, you've made it work thus far and you're going to continue to evolve and, and exercise those creative muscles and continue to build your network and collaborate and just keep that creative thread throughout all the work that you do. Like that's very evident. So we're going to close with our creative recommendations. Sure. I could start with one. I just sure. finished a book called How to Do Nothing. Sorry, I don't have the author's name in front of me right now. It was interesting because I had read the book Stolen Focus by Johan Hari earlier in the summer, and I was really moved by it. And it, this book touches on a lot of the same things. However, this author is an artist and an academic, and her writing is a lot more, I guess, like philosophical in a sense. And at times, something that I keep saying to people that I'm talking to about this book is that I have never been as bored by a book and as moved in the same text. <laughs> the same like there are, say, there are some passages that I find just a little too, like, I guess, like maybe intellectual or academic for me or just a little too into the weeds of like a specific art piece or artist or piece of literature and it can feel a little dry but the overall which is not a great endorsement I'm realizing but the the book in itself and all of the so it's arguing for how to kind of fight against the attention economy and she speaks a lot about bioregionalism that was one part that really resonated with me like knowing where you live and bringing in like indigenous knowledge you know how like we have lost so much relationship to place and to non-human entities in place and how that even the idea of endangered species like if if there are endangered species in your habitat that automatically means that we are endangered in some capacity as well you know I can hardly do the book justice (laughs) at all (laughs) you know me trying to like paraphrase some of her ideas which are vast but I think it's a really important book literally for anyone it really highlighted the importance of like why combating 
the assault of our attention is so important and how it, it, it could be integral for creating the types of changes that we need to make for human, to sustain human life, non-human life on the planet. So it just feels like a really, just a recommended or, or required reading for, for adults living in <laughs> Western society, in my, in my humble opinion. So that's my creative recommendation. Nice. I've got a book as well that I'd like to recommend. Mm. That sounds great. I, mm. This book is very different from what you were describing. Oh, and the author is Jenny O'Dell. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, how, how to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. Thank you. Okay, so my book is a series of short stories. The book's called Lesser Known Monsters of the 21st Century. It's by Kim Fu. My sister recommended it to me. I've never read a book of short stories, or at least not for a really long time. And I find myself so like gripped by it. They're so interesting. It's every story is completely unique. You know, there's no through line, but they're all focused on different. It, it feels kind of Black Mirror-esque. There's a lot mm. of like dark technology. Every story seems based in the future, but some are more, like seem further into the future than others. And and some are focused more on technology and some are more fantastical. Like one of my favorites so far has been a girl who's going through puberty and she grows wings on her ankles. And it's told through the point of view of her friend. And it just seems less like this crazy thing and more like girls figuring out about their changing bodies it's just a really interesting way that the author really ties together these unrealistic fantastical things with a sense of realism you really get into um, oh so it's the same author for all the stories yeah oh. yeah so she wrote the yeah she wrote the book yeah some are more grounded in reality some are a little a little less so there's one about a a vendor who's selling things that seem to control the passage of time. And so <laughs> so it, it covers a lot of territory, but it's really all things that are pretty relevant, I would say. they're all It's all commentary on today's world in just really creative ways. I've, it's a really cool book to explore these creative stories, and it's gotten me kind of feeling creative in my own way of approaching these these topics. So yeah, I would really I would really recommend it. It's a really, really great book. And that's it. (laughs) Daniel, please don't feel pressured to also recommend a book. Well, I don't read. I actually don't read fiction pretty much 99.9% of the time. Okay, well, maybe if you haven't checked out How to Do Nothing, that is certainly nonfiction. I'm a really terrible reader. Like, I read a lot of stuff, but I don't read fiction. If you want an introduction to fiction, this book. Short stories. Short stories. That's what what everybody says about the last book that they were just joking about. Oh, I know. (laughs) But this one I would would recommend. It's it's nice. Like short stories, they're digestible. They get you thinking, you know. It's, yeah. I'll check it out. You know. Don't lie to me. Do they have an audio (laughs) book? Yeah, audio book. Yeah, audio book. Have you got a creative recommendation that you can impart on our listeners and it could even be just very abstract a really important thing for my creativity i think it has some base in reality is that sometimes he, when you're trying to be really creative it's like a a skill that you're trying to build mm. and you can really approach it that way you know you know the more you practice being creative the easier it is to be creative things like that right but I also think it's very important for the final product or whatever it is you're trying to do to have some sort of spontaneity. 
So I think the whole flow always needs to be a nice balance between control and release. Because if you, you present something or you create something that's too controlled or too well thought out or too practiced, it's boring. And then if you present something that's just too chaotic or too, too gutsy, it's over the top or it's scary, right? Or, or something like that or too abstract. I think when you put those two things together, that's when you have something interesting. I think people say, I'm able to appreciate that crazy thing that you did because I know you did it on purpose. And I know that because I, I could hear or see the other thing that you did that was controlled. You know what I mean? And I think that's always been a really interesting concept for me and something that always guides me anyway. Just to go a little deeper into that, have you got any practices of kind of either allowing yourself to like to yeah. allow the release because I feel like we're all pretty I delete a lot of things adept at being like too controlled you know or, or maybe 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 not maybe people are really like chaotic and out there but I feel like allowing the release can be a little more challenging because because you it's it's we're self-censoring it's, well because you're always told that you shouldn't practice that you should always mm. be practicing your craft yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't think like, okay, what are you making though? Are you making something? Are you making a chair or are you making a painting? Because, you know, b- both of those are creative pursuits, mm-hmm. but no one cares who made the chair. Mm. Some nerds do. Chair nerds. Yeah, chair nerds. And I, I, have, I have friends who are chair nerds, <laughs> yeah. right? Everybody does. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking it's a chair mm-hmm. and I, you know, I appreciate it. But did I look at the biography of that chair maker? <laughs> and then you look at a painting you think to yourself, it's a nice painting, but if it's evocative enough, you're going to think, who painted that? Or when you hear a song, whose song is this? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? want to know. Because it has that, that's, you know, that's something that's not, that's not perfect or that's not uh, utility. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And maybe some, something that's, that's more personal, right? To, to yeah. the, to the artist. I think so. But both are important. Chairs are important. And I, 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 nice chairs are also important. Mm-hmm. There's some chairs that probably go beyond being nice functional chairs to chairs where people are like, yeah, that's a cool chair, but it's more of an art piece than a chair. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure right? there are lots of chairs mm-hmm. that are not supposed to be sat in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but just to, to, to bring it back in, because sound is your, sound is your medium. Um, and, and hopefully people who are not directly working in music can use this as like a, a correlation of their own creativity. But do you have a, a recommendation of how to release that control when working in sound or music? There's so many ways you could do it, I guess. But I think, you know, sometimes working with other people can be the answer. Sometimes for me, when I have, uh, when like if I'm in pre-production, like, or I'm thinking of ideas, I will delete a lot of ideas. I won't keep, like, I'll I'll think of a lot of things and I'll put them in a basket and then I'll just throw a lot of them away so that I'll forget them or that I, or they can't use them again. Because if I, if I, if I, if I see them all, if I know they all exist, they'll never move on. You know what I mean? Or if I, if I'm going down a certain path and there's a sound, something sounding a certain way. And I think to myself, you know what? This is garbage. I'm not just going to hide it. I'm going to delete it. I'm going to destroy it. Mm. You know what I mean? So that I can't go back to it and like put a, put, put a bandage on it and make it move forward. You know what I mean? It's just I like, see. it's gone. And Sorry I think like, for me, that's always been important to delete stuff, I think, and, and get rid of it. Or even if I am in the process of refining something, 
I try to keep as little as possible that I can go back to and change again. So right. like I'll, in that sense, I'll delete as well. I'll be like, okay, so let's, I'm going to commit and move forward. Right. So if you've got a track, then you're, you're like condensing it so that you can't just go back into each individual yeah. track and keep tinkering away with them. You're like, nope, this is the sound. Yeah. We're bouncing it. Yeah. So if it's, if it's me, if it's my, if it's me and it's just for myself, then yeah, I'll go crazy with that. Like I'll be very, very ridiculous, you know, probably stupid, mm -hmm. but that works for me. But if it's for somebody else, obviously I will keep enough professionally yeah to, to, to be able to changes. deliver yeah exactly right, yeah. yeah but yeah. i think if you could just keep too much though it's there's this i don't know i don't know where the the idea the quote comes from uh, i'm not even going to quote it properly but there's this idea there's this quote i think that goes something like this which is the creativity is like a skill that you practice right and you 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 come up with all of these different ideas, but the art is the ability to pick the good ones. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. the reason why you pick them isn't necessarily logical, but in, in not, not completely anyway, or the reason why you pick them is based on the experience of trying all of those things as a skill first. You know what I mean? But if you get too wrapped up in the skill and it's just about getting better at the skill and you never practice the art of saying, what's the point or mm. what does it all mean then where's the art right yeah. and i think a lot of people would even say that music is not art anyway music is just music is is just music like what's sounds the, like that could lead us into a whole other episode yeah. <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> that's when i stopped talking to those people <laughs> yeah no i think that's a really that's a really great place to leave to leave our listeners something for us to think about mm. yeah Okay, well, that is everything for today. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you, Jen. Thank you very much for having me. It's been such an interesting I'll... conversation. We've really dove into a lot of territory that I wasn't expecting to dive into, but it was great. It yeah. was really... I will probably never listen to this episode <laughs> because I hate the sound of my own voice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is... I can relate to that. Hard relate. No, hard I'll listen relate. to hard it. Relate. I'll listen to it obsessively. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can either listen to it you know, like four times or none at all. You can't yeah. just listen once yeah. because it, I'll tell everybody else to. And with that, this has been Vicarious. <laughs> I'm Alex. I'm Karen. I'm Daniel. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.